Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So this morning we are in our parable series and we're continuing uh, through, our, through the parables. And uh, today is the parable of the wise man who builds his house upon the rock and the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. Um, anyone know that song from like their little childhood? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just classic, classic, just teaches the parable. So the song, we can sing it. I mean, the, it's the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Built his house upon the rock. And the rain came tumbling down. And the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. And then you do the same thing again with the man on the sand. Except for when it happens, the floods come down and the house goes, splat! <laughs> yep, <laughs> that is the song. So, Have you ever heard that song? A different version? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anyways. That was not a Veggie Tales. That was like from the 70s or something, I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe the 80s. I don't know. It was not a Veggie Tales song. It was taught to me when I was in like 80 children's class. So to begin, I just thought it'd be good to um, just ask this question of when were there some times where you felt foolish? Um, yeah. 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 Um, I have this story. Um, Rebecca and I went out west and we were traveling home from California and we were crossing the Sierra Nevadas and the the rains are actually coming down really hard. And as we're coming down the Sierra Nevadas, we're just flying down the mountain. And I'm, I'm using my brakes. I'm just like, this is not good. In my mind, I knew this is not good, that I'm not supposed to be slowing my car with my brakes. But our car did not have like any type, it only had low gear. And I was like, low gear is way too low. And I was just like, what? I know that there's something that I can turn off and that would help me go down the mountain better. And I could not for the life of me, figure it out, remember it in that moment. And so I was like, I guess we're just going to do the brake thing. And so we come rolling into Reno. And as we pull into our hotel, I hit the brakes, and they go, like, they're just grinding. Like, I just grinded the brakes right off. And the next morning, we wake up, and I go to AutoZone. And I had brought my toolkit just in case. And I go to AutoZone, and it's 100 degrees outside in Nevada, and I am changing my brooders and my pads, and the people from AutoZone come out on their lunch break to see this guy change his brake pads and his rotors in their parking lot because they just, they just can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what it was is I had forgotten to turn the overdrive off. I'd, I mean, to turn the overdrive on. Like, yeah, turn the overdrive off. I forgot to turn the overdrive off so that the transmission would help me brake. And instead, I was foolish, and I just rode the brakes down. Now, the thing about foolishness is that sometimes you can be foolish and know that you're being foolish. Like, I knew that there was something else that I should be doing, but I just didn't know what it was, you know? And then there's times where we can be foolish and just kind of, like, step right into it. We can have some hubris, right? And so th- sometimes there's moments where we're foolish, and then sometimes there's, like, entire seasons where we're foolish, right? Like, when I look back from my transition from high school to college, um, I had some 
some pride issues going on. And I went to college and I was like, I'm going to be everyone's friend. I'm going to try and be everyone's best friend. And as I met people and as I became friends, friends with people, um, what I realized is that I wasn't able to maintain friendships with everybody that I thought that I could maintain friendships with. And what happened is that as I made these friendships and as I <laughs> grew in my own sphere of an idea of popularity, um, I started to leave people behind. I started to hurt people. And there was people that I had grown into like really quick but deep relationships who eventually ended up get, got hurt by my own hubris, my own pride to like to grow and keep growing in friendships and relationships. And and they confronted me on it, and I, I, was, I was broken, I was devastated, but like they were so hurt that they weren't my friend anymore. They were like, this, they're like, I forgive you, but like clearly we're not going in the same direction. Clearly our goals and outcomes around relationships are different. And I was, I was wrecked that freshman year of college. And what, when I look back on it is that I realized that I was in a season of just like foolishness and hubris and pride and self-promotion. And when you think about your life, as you look back, I hope that there are seasons where you can look back and say, like, man, who I was in the past is almost irreconcilable with who I am today. Meaning that who I was in the past, as I look at those things, as I look at the realities <coughs> and the things that I believed, whether it was a worldview, whether it was a perception of yourself, was it the perception of others, um, maybe it was an understanding of your faith, but like, if you were to have a conversation with yourself in the past, the, your past version would disagree vehemently against the person that you are today. And the person that you are today would be like, I actually, I have some wisdom for you, guy, in the past who thinks he knows it all. Because I've come to know some things, I've come to experience some things, I've come to live some things, and thus have grown wiser. And so anyone got that? Anyone, anyone have those seasons where you're like, man, looking back, like I was just foolish in that season. My hope is that as Christians that this would be happening to us almost all the time. Because I believe that even right now, presently, in my presence, even though I'm not seeking to walk in foolishness, I know that it, there's still some foolishness like hanging around. And that in a couple of years I'll be able to look back and be like, man, I was really foolish in these ways. I was really prideful. I was really whatever. But like because I don't know, it's kind of like going down the mountain without overdrive. Sometimes it's like, man, I know that I know there's something different that should be happening here, but I only know how to operate in this way. And sometimes that operation is still a level of foolishness. And what's cool is that as we grow in faith and as we grow in relationship with God and relationship with Jesus, he reveals our foolishness to us, and he begins to heal us and deliver us of that. And the thing is that I believe that as a church, we should always be constantly repenting. We should always be in a place of, where Jesus is revealing new things to us and exposing new places where we can grow and repent and reconcile and grow in wisdom <laughs> with our relationship with God and with one another. And so the thing is, though, is that we talk about foolishness, like we're never proud of it, right? There's almost like a shame component to foolishness, right? I mean, as we talked about at the very beginning, I was like, think of a time when you're foolish. You're like, when wasn't I? That's great that we like, can admit that. But also, I'd imagine that there's some pain or there's some shame or there's some frustration as we look back and we're just like, man, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of the ways that I was foolish in the past. And the reality is that like, our foolishness is in our DNA. It kind of comes all the way back to our spiritual parents and our physical parents of Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and the serpent, serpent comes up to them, and he's like, did God really stay? Did God really stay not to do these things? And very quickly, 
Adam and Eve, they, they take the fruit and they give in to this temptation. And, and this temptation of, did God really say, really quickly moves into this place where we, in our heart, for a moment, for, for just a moment, say, I don't know if there's a God. And the fool says in his own heart, there is no God. And I think a lot of times when we walk out in foolishness, it's in those moments where we are deceived and where we move into this place of like, well, I don't know if there really is a God. And so I'm going to operate as if I have to be God in this situation. And that's generally where foolishness comes out. Now the good news is that God has anticipated our foolishness. He's anticipated that we would live foolish lives. And he says, I'm, I'm coming to intercede in that. I'm going to come and I'm going to bring wisdom. And the w- first way that God does this is that he gives his people the Torah. He gives the people the law. And he says, in the law there is wisdom. And so the Israelites, they study it, they, <laughs> they try and, and soak in it, and in studying it and soaking it, what they miss sometimes is the wisdom that's actually there. Instead of living out the law and living it out in relationship with one another, they end up just becoming puffed up in their own pride and their own knowledge and their own ability to recite it and their own ability to teach it, but they miss the part that is actual application of the law. And even in some places where they apply it, they apply it wrongly. And so eventually, God intervenes through his son, and Jesus shows up. And Jesus is the, like, full embodiment, the full, complete incarnation of God's wisdom. Like, he is the complete totality of wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. And so he shows up in bodily form, and he starts to teach. And when he teaches, he gathers a group of people together, a large crowd, and he begins to teach this message that begins to review the Torah, that begins to review the wisdom of the law, and he begins to bring clarity and authority to it. The scripture says that when Jesus teaches on the, on the Torah and on the law, that he teaches with authority that the scribes and the Pharisees around him just didn't have. And so people are amazed and they're blown away by Jesus' teaching. And it makes sense because Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is the word of God. And so if anyone's able to speak with authority, if anyone's able to speak with clarity and bring <laughs> the fullness to God's wisdom and God's hope for us in this life, it's going to be Jesus. And so Jesus, he does this teaching, and this teaching is, is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this, this, this teaching happens in both the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And at the end of both teachings, he ends with this parable. And it's this parable of a wise man and a foolish man. And so we're going to read this parable and dive into it this morning. So first I want to read the passage from Matthew, and then we'll, we'll highlight some ways that Luke teaches it a little bit differently as we go. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell, <laughs> and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so in this teaching we have Jesus showing up, and he's, this, he's just this master teacher because he's 
looking at the world around them, and he, and he sees these two different types of houses that, were, that would have been built in Israel. And Jesus himself, he's a builder. Like, we know that he's a carpenter. We know that he's <laughs> probably some type of stone mason. He knows how to work with these materials, and he's seen people build houses in both of these ways. Now, in, throughout a lot of Israel, we find that people built their houses in rock. They would dig out of the rock, and they would create these kind of stone houses. But what we also find throughout Israel is that in different regions where you couldn't dig out and where you couldn't build in rock, what people did is they built with mud. In a lot of these places where they built with mud, <laughs> they were in arid places, and what would happen in Israel is that they averaged 22 inches of rain per year over the course of 50 days. To give some perspective, London also averages 22 inches of rain every year over 300 days. And so that 22 inches of rain in 50 days is half an inch of rain on average. And so when the rain would come, guess what? The floods would come with it. And in this arid environment where the soil was not absorbent and where that much rain would come, the floods would come up and they would destroy the houses made out of mud that were built on sand and built on the seashore. And Luke <laughs> describes this much more clearly in Luke chapter 6. Um, the way that he describes this, he says, um, the one who hears and does not do these things is like the man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, it immediately fell and ruin of that house was great. And so what we see is that, you know, Luke kind of describes this phenomenon of the storms coming and these streams that w there weren't streams breaking against these houses. And destroying it. And so Jesus is talking about the reality that these people live in and that Jesus would have experienced. And so people would have been incredibly familiar. And, and, and he's just saying, people that listen to my words and do them are wise. People who hear my words and do not put them into practice are foolish. And, he, and this analogy is just kind of painfully obvious because the person on the street would say, yep, the person with the foundation, that house is going to stand. The person without the foundation, they would have heard and known stories of where those houses just collapsed in the rainy season. They would just know it. And they'd say, yep, this is incredibly obvious between who is wise and who is foolish. And what I see central to this parable is this idea of hear the <laughs> words of Jesus and put them into practice. Hear the words of Jesus and put them in to practice. And for Jesus, hearing is just not this like, up, oh, I heard it. Thanks for the great information. I'll now like digest it and see what I think about it. For Jesus, hearing is about implementation. It's about kind of immediately responding. And so I think about it kind of like when Benjamin, so Benjamin loves running out in the front yard. We give him a lot of freedom in the front yard, but in the front yard, there's also the street. He's got to travel a ways but there's some times where he just gets fascinated with the street and he starts sprinting to the street. Now we yell out to Benjamin, Benjamin, stop! No! And he could hear us. He could physically hear us. And he has a choice to make. And sometimes he's chosen to continue to run into the road. And when he continues to run into the road, does it matter that he physically hurt us? Does it matter that he physically hurt us thought about it, rejected it, rebelled, and kept going. No, it's as if he didn't hear. And so what we do as good parents is we run and intercept him before he gets to the road. 
And I believe that Jesus does this too in our own foolishness at times. That there are times where we are foolish and we hear Jesus call out to us and he's like, no, stop. And we're like, I'm doing it anyways. And he saves us from it. Other times we go forward and we're like, I'm doing it anyways. And the pain and the suffering and the loss that happens is difficult and it's hard because there are consequences to when we hear but don't hear when we continue to choose to run in foolishness. And so in this parable, Jesus is saying, it's not enough to just hear my words. It's not enough just to read my words. It's not enough just to agree with my words. He's even saying it's not just good enough for you to be able to teach my words. Because this is what the Pharisees were masters at. Like, they knew it. They, it was memorized. They were able to teach it. They were able to agree with it. But they weren't able to walk it out. They weren't able to live them. And really, when you think about wisdom and the definition of wisdom, one of the best definitions of wisdom that I've come across is knowledge applied. It's applied knowledge. And so Jesus is saying, take these words of mine and apply them. Use them. Don't just let it sit there and say, I'm good because I agree that these things are good. Jesus is like, if you agree these things are good and they should be in your life, begin to live them. And also, kind of in this parable, there's this, there's this almost like urgent warning that there's a storm that's coming. And the storm that's coming is not trials in this life. Sometimes we read this parable and we want to say, well, these storms that come against the wise and the foolish person, they're just the common storms of everyday life. No, when Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about final judgment. He's just saying, someday judgment is going to come, and those who are wise are going to be able to withstand the judgment. And they're going to stand, like those who have built their house upon the rock. And there's going to be a day when judgment comes in, and they're going to be those who are completely ruined and destroyed. And they will be like the people who chose to build their house upon the sand. The storm has no discretion between the wise and the foolish. The storm happens to both, and it's representative of this judgment and so Jesus is offering a warning. He's warning to the people, do what I've commanded. Listen to my words and put them into practice. Again, in the Luke version, he begins the parable by this. He starts with this kind of pointed question that begins with this invitation around the warning. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I've called you to do? And that's challenging. That's a high challenge from Jesus to be able to listen to his words and to begin to put it into practice. And a lot of times when we hear this parable and we think of the flood as final destruction, as final judgment, we as Christians sometimes close the parable and say, you know what? I've accepted Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm good. I'm the builder. I'm the wise builder that's on the rock. I'm going to live through judgment. And I think that that's sometimes as, as believers where we begin to step into foolishness and we just close the parable right there. Because that, at that point, we start to begin to appear wise in our own eyes. And the Bible says that those who appear wise in their own eyes are not actually those who are wise, but rather it is the fools. And so I don't want us to risk the chance of like just saying, you know what, this is about judgment, this is about final judgment, we've accepted Jesus, check, we're good. 
Instead, what I want is I want us to be able to open up our hearts this morning and allow the Spirit to begin to search us and ask with intention, Jesus, where is there still foolishness in my life? Where am I currently walking in foolishness? And how do you want to lead me and guide me and correct me towards wisdom? There's this beautiful prayer in Psalm 139. And it's a prayer that I try to pray daily. It doesn't happen, but it's an incredible prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is just how much Jesus knows us, how much the Lord has has invested into us. And at the end of it, David says this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. You could almost say, see if there's any foolish way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. And you could also say, lead me into the way of wisdom. And that's my prayer for us this morning. That's my prayer for us this week. And that's kind of my prayer every day is, God, wherever there's foolishness in me, please reveal that to me, humble me, and lead me into the way of wisdom. Lead me into the way of following after you. And so just to, to pivot a little bit, to talk about what Julie was talking about this morning, Jesus tells this parable at the end of this really long teaching on the law. And in this teaching on the law, he addresses a number of issues that we are incredibly familiar with in this life. He, he begins with anger. He's like, are you angry? And in your anger, are you sinning? If you're angry towards another brother, it's like, you killed them. And when I come across that, I'm like, God, I, yes, I'm angry, but like, I don't intend to kill them. And he's like, that's not what I said. It is as if you killed them. He talks about lust and how that is synonymous with adultery. And we're like, but I don't intend to commit adultery. He's like, great, but that's what you're doing. And you're like, man, that's tough. He talks about divorce. He talks about retaliation. Our natural instinct around retaliation is eye for an eye. I mean, Jesus even says it in his teachings, like, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. He's like, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. If someone asks you to go one mile, go with them two. If he asks for a garment, give him your cloak. He's saying, love, love your enemies. He addresses our greed. He addresses the way that we give. He addresses our pride. He addresses how we live in anxiety and fear and worry. He addresses how we judge others. And so as we look at these things of anger, lust, anxiety, worry, fear, like what ways are we living in those things? Because those things, according to Jesus, is foolishness. And he's given us the antidote, which are his words, to walk in wisdom. And to find life. I don't know about you, but when I find myself walking in these things that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, like, I'm not, I'm not thriving. I'm not flourishing. There's not life coming from me. And the words of Jesus hit fairly hard. And we can kind of like trust, we can kind of like test how we do against these things that Jesus mentions through how a fool receives correction and how the wise receives correction? How does the fool respond to the teaching of Jesus? And how does the wise respond to the teaching of Jesus? Throughout Proverbs, we find that the fool hates correction, but the wise seeks it out. Where have I avoided correction? Where have I not wanted correction? Where have I not sought it out? The fool hates discipline, 
but the wise love it. Where have I lived without discipline? The fool speaks his mind where the wise holds his tongue. The fool trusts his own mind while the wise seek the counsel of many. Fools end up making company with other fools, and the wise end up making company with others that are wise. And this one, this one kind of gets me. The fool ends up repeating his folly like a dog that returns to his vomit. I just think about like fear and anxiety and worry in my life at times and pride and how I've, I've, I've lived the life of the fool. I've acted the fool of returning back to these things that Jesus has called me out of and that wants to give me freedom towards. But I have instead wanted to build my life on the sand where I could be in control, where I could direct. And, and that's just not stable ground. Anyone who's lived a life of fear and anxiety, worry, knows how there's just not peace there and how shaky and unstable that ground is. The fool is often proud, where the wise is often humble. And so my encouragement to us is to, where is God speaking to you today? Where is Jesus kind of highlighting in these lists of things between wise and foolish? And how is he drawing you into his words to live a life full of wisdom? Because there are definitely times where I know that I've wanted to build my life out of sand. Because it's just easier than cutting into the rock. Cutting into the rock is hard. Building with mud and clay you can get a house up pretty quick. Granted, it comes down pretty quick, but man, at least you got a house. But cutting into the rock takes time. And I've also noticed about the the parables that like, the question is kind of like, what are your resources? Like, what are you reaching for? There are some in Israel who did not have resources to dig into the rock. And they could have moved to a place where they could have built a more substantial, wise house. But there are reasons for them not moving. There are reasons and excuses always for the house that they built on the sand. They could be like, well, this is where my family's always been. They could be like, this is where my job is at. This is all that I know. I really like it here. And Jesus is saying, yes, but like, you need to move to the place where you could have resource to not face destruction. And sometimes that place is scary. Sometimes that place is new. Sometimes that place requires way more work. It requires so many more man hours to get just the same square footage of house that you get in the desert. But this house lasts. And this house endures. And so when I look at my life, what I'm thankful for is I'm thankful for those moments where the person that I am today can't be reconciled with the person I was in the past. Because it's in that place where I believe that God has brought transformation. It's the places where God has brought freedom. It's places where God has renewed my mind where I have repented, because the idea of repentance is to have your mind changed. And so I'm thankful of those places. And so I want you to think of those places too. As you think of the places that, that you're still living in that's foolish, I also want you to think of the places, where is God giving you victory? Where has God moved you along? Where has God given you new life? And where he's brought transformation? Because this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to continually bring transformation and new life to our lives. Jesus wants us to lean more and more into him and trusting his commandments. His commandments are good. The question is, do I trust him? Am I willing to surrender and to walk in the way of wisdom that he is offering us?
through his commands and through his words and through his teaching? Do we really want it? Or are there parts in our heart that says, you know what, I really, I really wish there was no God because this thing would be a lot easier otherwise. Now the invitation that I think that Jesus is moving us towards this morning is not to try harder, not to do it on our own because we're never going to be able to will ourselves out of foolishness. We're just not. But instead we need to trust in him and we need to go into community. And there's this really beautiful passage in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3 that talks about what it was to walk in foolishness and what it is to receive Jesus and what it is to experience wisdom from him. It's an amazing passage. It lines up incredibly, like I could, have, I could not have written it better. I was just reading my Bible this week and I came across Titus 3. I was like, this, this is amazing. And so this is what we find in Titus 3. He says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And I know there are parts of my life and there are probably parts of your life that, that line up with that list of what foolishness is. But then he says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works that we've done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's that endurance of the test at the end. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so when we look at this passage from Titus, I'm just encouraged. I'm just encouraged by the way that God shows up and the way that God is able to transform. And I'm, able, and I'm encouraged by the ways that he's done that previously in my story. And I'm excited for the ways that he's wanting to do that in my story right now. And the realities that I see in this passage is that on our own, are we foolish? I, I believe yes. On our own, in our own mind, in our own estimation, we are foolish. Is God good? Yes. What I love is how God meets us. It says, but when his goodness and his loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. I mean, in the middle of our foolishness, he shows up with goodness, love, and kindness. He doesn't come with condemnation, wrath, and shame. He doesn't come in those ways, in the ways that we often approach ourselves when we think about foolishness. I mean, as soon as foolishness is revealed to me, my immediate reaction is to begin to start punishing myself and shaming myself. That's not how God comes at it. He comes with goodness, love, and kindness. And he saves us from our own foolishness. He's absolutely capable of saving us. The Spirit leads us into truth. There's so many passages throughout Scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit and how he indwells with us and how he leads our thinking and our heart towards the ways of truth and knowing truth. And we just have to listen and apply to it. And so his mercy triumphs over judgment. The Holy Spirit makes us new, and we are saved by grace. And we devote ourselves to doing the good that Jesus has commanded us to do. So what I want us to see this morning is how great God's love is for us. 
even in the middle of the foolishness. I love the passage that says, while we were still sinners. You could say, while we were still fools, Christ died for us to make us righteous with him. I'm, I'm just blown away by God's love for us and his ability to breathe new life into us. And so my question is, is what ways is Jesus calling the foolishness out of you? In what ways is he calling him back to you? Which ways is he calling you to live life fully right here, right now? In what ways is he also calling you to live life right now in wisdom with him so that you can endure the final test at the end, the final judgment at the end? Because if we walk in wisdom now, we will be rooted in wisdom then. And there will be a place where we don't have to fear. Where there is no fear, there is nothing but security. And we can come with the parable with confidence, not hubris confidence like the fool that says, yep, we're good. But if we live it, if we listen to the words of Jesus and we step into it and begin to live them more and more and grow in wisdom, the more confidence we will have in that day. So my call to us is to come into community. Because I think a part of healing, a part of repenting, a part of transformation always happens in community. There's been way too many times where I've tried to repent on my own where I've tried to walk away from my own foolishness just between God and I. And it's been incredibly ineffective. The most effective ways that God has brought about real change and real transformation in my life is when we get real and we get open and we get honest and we just start and we confess it to one another. And James says that when we do that, that's when people get healed. It's when people get healed. It's when transformation comes. And so I want to invite you into deeper community. What are the ways that God is highlighting today? places of foolishness in what ways do you need, need to get that out which way how do you because that's what we want to do we just want to get it out and we can put wisdom back in and we can begin to live life with freedom joy and relationship with god that's deeper and that's also deeper with one another and so that's my encouragement to you guys today is, is let's let's just get this out let's let's begin to confess foolishness and it's something that I've just done recently, like the foolishness of fear, the foolishness of anxiety. These are things that I've gone into community and received prayer over because I can't live with it anymore. I can't live tied to those things, to those fears. And God has brought peace where there was once fear and anxiety, and it's, and it's amazing. And I want it for you guys, too. I want you guys to be able to experience the love and the joy and the peace and the goodness and the kindness and the love that, that Jesus is giving to us, especially here in Titus chapter 3. So I want to close with just this command. Like, let's follow Jesus. Because it's going to be one of the wisest things that we can do. And let's put these words into practice. Alright? So, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have together. And we thank you that you are incredibly wise. And God, we confess that there are times where we all too often try to be wise on our own, where we try to do this life on our own strength, where we believe that we have to. God, there's places where we are carrying loads that we were never called to carry, that you never asked us to carry. And God, I pray that we would be able to set those down, that we would be able to set down all foolishness, all fear, all anxiety, all lust, all greed, all anger, and that you'd fill that with love and joy and peace in our hearts, God, that we would experience true freedom as a community and as a body in you. 
God, give us the grace to receive one another's confessions. Give us the hope to pray freedom and joy into each other's lives. And God, may you bring healing in, in the unique ways that we need it this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.